this working? Nope. All right, I'm going to lose this thing. It ain't doing it. Okay. Will you stand with me uh, as we read God's Word? With me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Have you ever felt judged, you know, by other people? Felt like they were judging you. Maybe you said something and somebody around kind of gave you a look. Um, maybe you did some, some action and you knew there was somebody watching and they were judging you. You knew it. Or maybe um, you have a certain belief and even though maybe you've never been openly like to your face judged for it, you know that that belief causes people to judge, right? And so you feel kind of this vicarious judgment because something that you care about is being judged. We've all felt that. We've all felt like uh, we're being judged. Another question, have you ever felt guilty? Maybe you did something that was totally fine, nothing wrong with it, but uh, the way someone perceived it or the way someone spoke about it, they made you feel like what you did was wrong. Or maybe you did do something that was wrong and there was guilt right guilt because of that wrong thing that you did. We've all felt guilty. Well, last week, our fighter verse was Romans 8.1, if you remember that. Um, but it just kind of hit me then, and I've been thinking about it all week long, and so that's what I really want to talk about this morning. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that really mean for me to say that there's no condemnation for me? Well, if you look at the book of Romans, this whole concept of like guilt and condemnation versus justification and righteousness, like that's a huge part of what he talks about throughout the whole book of Romans. Um, and so I kind of want to glance through the first seven chapters, and you're like, oh no, he's going to preach on the whole book of Romans. No, 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 I want to work through the first seven chapters briefly, because the whole idea of us not being condemned doesn't really mean very much if you don't have a context uh, of the rest of of what Paul is building on here uh, in Romans. So, starting in chapter 1, and if you want, if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 1 and look first at verse 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. And then he goes through in verse 24, and so God gave them up to the lust of their heart, 
Uh, verse 26, he gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, uh, God gave them up to a debased mind. Verse 29, they are filled with unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And the list goes on from there. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to, God, to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So first off, when we're starting off in Romans, we learn mankind is naturally sinful. At our very core, like, we are born as sinful beings. And when we persist in that sin, God gives us over to it. Okay, that's, that's what we see here. And that sinfulness puts us at odds with a holy God. We cannot, we cannot coexist, really. He must destroy that evil. Our evil will not go without punishment, without consequences. And so, if you look at Romans chapter 2, in verse 6, he says this, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So, you got two options. Do good, eternal life. Do bad, wrath and fury. Pretty simple. And really, like, that simple idea is what most human religion is based on, right? You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. But Paul doesn't stop there because Christianity is so much more than just that, right? So Paul doesn't stop there. What does he say in chapter 3, verse 10? As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Okay, now, I used to teach logic a little bit, so do this logic exercise with me. If you do bad, then you get wrath and fury. All people do bad, therefore, yeah, we all get wrath and fury, okay? The logic here says... We're not doing good. Goodness leads to life. Badness leads to wrath and fury. We're not going to do good naturally. Okay? The moral law of God, God's moral law tells us you are condemned because it reveals to us the sinners that we are. But in case you're really depressed right now, at the end of, right here in Romans 3, don't worry. Paul doesn't let you stay depressed for long, because in Romans 3.21, what does he say? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So, even though logic says, I'm a sinner who doesn't do any good, therefore I deserve wrath and fury, I can be made right. We can be made right with God. We can't keep the law, sure, but we can be justified before God by faith in a man who did keep the law. 
And then in chapter 4, Paul tells us, and this whole faith thing, this is the way it's always been. Look at Abraham, right? Abraham's the example there in chapter 4. He was called righteous because of his faith, not because of his obedience to the law. Guess what? When Abraham was living, there was no law. It hadn't been revealed yet fully. There were no Ten Commandments for Abraham to obey. His righteousness came from his faith in God. And then in chapter 5, we see that just as we were represented by Adam, this one man Adam who made us all sinners, right? In his sin, we're all made sinners. In the same way, when we put our faith in Christ, in one man, Jesus, we can all be made righteous. Adam's sin gives us sin. Christ's righteousness gives us righteousness. That's grace. That's, I mean, when we say we're saved by grace, that's what we're talking about because we didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve to have the righteousness of Jesus given to us. And that's, I mean, that's good news. That's the gospel for you, right? That's the gospel that says Jesus died for your sins so you don't have to. And then we get to chapter 6. And in verse 1 of chapter 6, this is what it says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then in verse 12 he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So, if you're following with me, you're born as a sinner. That's our natural state. Because of our sin, we deserve wrath and fury. But God, in his mercy, provides a way that through faith we may become right with God. We may be justified. And once we are justified, once that righteousness has been given to us, we have responsibility we've been justified as a gift but we should respond with joyful obedience to the one who saved us walk in that righteousness that you've been given and then in chapter 7 <laughs> uh, Paul gets into this really difficult concept of how do I as a believer right I've been changed I've been made new and this law that used to condemn me is still existing but how do I relate to it how, do, how does a believer of this new covenant, like how do I interact with God's law? And he says this in verse 4 of, verse, of chapter 7. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were still living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Okay, let me just pause here. If you're going, wow, this is a lot. Um, we did a series on Romans already. I invite you to go back. You can listen to, uh, to a sermon specifically on chapter 7, specifically on uh, chapter 6. If, that's, if you're wrestling there, 
okay? I just want to kind of give you an outline uh, the best I can in a few minutes, okay? What is this saying, though? The law is no longer um, our, our binding master, okay? Some of the language we see Paul use is this language of slavery to our sin and then slaves to righteousness. So we are no longer enslaved by, uh, by the law, we're free from this like, pressure to obey it or be destroyed. Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean that the law is bad and that we should just toss it aside and act like it doesn't exist anymore. Because I mean, what does he say in verse uh, 7? What shall we say then? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known what sin even was. The law helps us know our sin. It reveals it to us. And so we should desire to keep it because it's good. The law is good for us. In, uh, in verse 22, Paul says this, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So, backing up from this, we say, because of the justification that we've, we've been given, the grace that's come to us, our hearts have been changed, and we should delight in the law of God. Not because keeping it saves us, but because keeping it delights us. And yet, our sin is always there in our members, as Paul says, kind of pulling us back from that. And that sets up this battle, okay? There's this battle that the Christian wages, the flesh versus the spirit, and it's constant within us. Uh, and that's the main point of Romans chapter 8. If you read the whole chapter, you really see this picture of the flesh and the spirit uh, at war. But before we can really talk about that battle, there's this statement that Paul makes at the beginning of chapter 8 that almost feels out of place. It would have been a very nice transition to be talking about the law and saying, like, here's this law, and it's, and it's, it's good, and yet it's showing my sin, so it's kind of almost feels bad, um, but I want to keep it because I delight it, because I love it. Uh, and, then, and then he can go right into this, and so my flesh is here, and, my, and the Spirit's here, and I'm fighting, right? That, that would make a lot of sense. But no, in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he's saying, before I can like really dive into this struggle that you're going to engage in every day, we have to have this assurance. You have to remind yourself that there's not condemnation because every day when you look at your flesh fighting you, you're going to feel condemned. We're going to see that we can't keep that law, and so that condemnation is going to keep sneaking back up on us. So let me affirm you, you are not condemned by your sin anymore if you are in Christ. Before grace came, the law meant death for you. We were condemned by that law. And that word condemnation, it kind of has two meanings. One of them is this, like the sentence, the proclamation, the divine sentence of judgment, right? Your condemnation in the courtroom of God's holiness where he says, you know, yes, under my law, you have failed, therefore you are condemned. But it also refers to the actual like, results of that sentence, right? Anguish and pain and suffering 
eternity separated from God. That's the condemnation that we deserve because of our sin. And this is telling us that Christ sets us free from all of that. There is no proclamation of our condemnation from God on his throne, and there is no eternal suffering and and torment away from him. We're not condemned. In Jesus, we are not condemned. Take a second and just think on that. So what does it mean for your daily life, though? Well, it means this. We've all felt judged, right? And it's easy to say, oh, well, the, you know, I don't care about those people who are judging me. Uh, it's easy to say their opinions don't really matter. Only God's opinion matters. Right? Only God can judge me. Yeah, that's true. Only, only God can judge you. And guess what? If you're in Christ, he's already judged you as innocent, not guilty, because he sees Christ when he looks at you. He's not sitting there watching you and judging you for every little action that you take, waiting for you to you know, make that big mess up so that he can just drop this hammer of divine judgment and crush you. He's not scrolling through his Instagram feed and going, I can't believe that. He's not judging you like that. When you feel guilty, there's forgiveness for you, not condemnation. If you've sinned and there's guilt, absolutely. We feel the guilt because of our sin, but repentance brings restoration, not condemnation. Christ died for that sin that you feel guilty for. He bore that condemnation for you. For that sin. You don't have to live in guilt because God has pronounced you not guilty in Christ. You don't have to wallow in shame because Jesus has borne that shame on the cross for you. So don't speak condemnation over yourself. Don't condemn yourself when God set you free. Like, Picture a guy in a courtroom who's, who's just been acquitted of all charges, and he's like, all right, lock me up. No, you're free, man. Go. Be free. Why do you want to go sit in prison? Why do you want to condemn yourself? The judge has set you free. You were guilty, yes, but you've been proclaimed innocent. So don't condemn yourself. And don't condemn your brothers and sisters in Christ because of their sin. We shouldn't be, oh, they'll never get out of that one. I don't know, I've just seen them wrestling with that sin for X years. I, just, I don't know, there's no hope. That kind of sin, that's just such a big deal, isn't it? Wow, I mean, Do you think you're a better judge than God? You think that, oh, I can pronounce this condemnation over over them when God said that they're not condemned? We can say the same thing for unbelievers. Sure, yeah. Read what Jesus says in John 3. He says, I've not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Why? Because, well, they're condemned already. 
the natural place of <laughs> we're already condemned. And he comes to rescue us from that condemnation. But for you to pronounce that, for you to say you're condemned, right? For me to, to judge in that sense, that's not my place. I'm claiming God's throne. I'm saying that I have the right to condemn you. Even if I've been, you know, they've hurt me, even if they're just so sinful, their condemnation's not my call. But we should warn them. Absolutely. We, sh we should tell them, hey, listen, sin has results. The wages of sin is death. We should remind them of that truth, but we're longing to see them made right. We're longing to see them repent and come to faith. We should pray for them, not pronounce judgment on them. Really, we shouldn't be known as judgmental as believers. We shouldn't be. Now, some of that, right, we are known, often Christians are known as judgmental, and a big part of that is because we dare to call sin, sin. And in this culture, that's not, right, that's judgmental. Um, so, yeah, we'll be known in some ways as judgmental simply because we're willing to say that sin is sin. But there's a different kind of judgment, right? I went to this conference uh, on, yesterday, and it was an apologetics conference. And one of the speakers there told a story. She was, a, um, she was an atheist uh, who became a believer in college. And she got married about the same time that she was becoming a believer. She married a Christian man. Uh, and so one of her first experiences uh, in church was walking into this um, church in Texas, a Southern Baptist, you know, good old kind of country church. Um, and the pastor and the pastor's wife were there greeting the people at the door. And, and the first thing that this pastor's wife said to her was, oh, baby, we, we are, we'll find you a, a better dress for church. She's a brand new believer. Like that... That con that's condemnation. She even, uh, in that story, she even quoted this verse. She said, I thought I read in Romans 1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There, it's little. That's, that's a small thing. A dress that you're wearing, the way you do your hair, like, really? But why would we condemn our fellow believers for that? As believers, we shouldn't be condemning others, and as believers, we shouldn't be condemning ourselves. So I guess you can tell. <laughs> Eight one is really the topic of my sermon this morning. It may say one through one through eleven or whatever. I'm mostly talking about eight one. Because I don't think we really comprehend what it means when we say that we are not condemned. I don't think we get that. Because if we really got that, I think that it would change the way that we think about our sin. I think it would change the way that we live. Because we we deserve Get this, all you deserve is condemnation, but because Jesus came and kept the law we couldn't keep, died the death we should have died, bore the wrath that we should have borne, our deserved condemnation was placed on him instead. So, to kind of pull this out a little bit, we're going to look at a few more verses here following uh, 8.1 to kind of see res the results in our life. What does it look like for me to live as, a, as an uncondemned man? Well, first, I think there are three. Three major uh, results of this lack of condemnation. First one, we're going to live for the glory of the one who made us righteous by walking in righteousness. 
In verse 2 he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The law couldn't save you. It couldn't do it. The law couldn't make you righteous. In fact, it really just made us more sinful. But Jesus kept the law, died for sin, so that we could keep the law and die to sin. And so we keep God's law not so that we will be justified, but because we have been justified. The second result of no longer being condemned, I see here, is, uh, is in verse 5. Our minds are being renewed. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're doing inductive Bible study on this section of verses, you better be marking that word mind. Because... This section is absolutely about our minds, our thought processes. Because we aren't condemned, we can set our minds on the things of God. It's possible for us to do that. Our minds grow in understanding of who he is, what he's done. We are now able to take our thoughts captive to the word of God. We're able to read and understand his word and, and grow in righteousness. We're able, uh, when temptation comes upon our minds, we're able to resist temptation. Because our minds are changed and they're being renewed. We want to obey God. Not out of a sense of like obligation, like, oh, I, you know, I, I just want him to be happy. I just don't want him to crush me. No, we want to because we love him, because we, we love what he's done for us, and we, we want to respond with this kind of joyful obedience. And if your life is going to be different, you're going to be walking differently, then your mind has to be different too, because we live according to what we're setting our minds on. Right? We even use that phrase, well, if you, what, you can do whatever you set your mind to. Yeah, you can. So set your mind to the things of the Spirit. And then the third result I see here um, is that we long to kill our sin. Skipping down to verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have life. We've been made alive. And we're ultimately going to have this renewed resurrection body, right? The eternal life. So then, brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, it's, a work of, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So I already talked about a little bit this battle of flesh versus spirit, right? The flesh keeps pulling us back to our sin. And when we sin, guilt, condemnation, they start creeping up. We start pronouncing that whole condemnation language over ourselves again. We're called here to walk in the Spirit, in life, right? We're called, we're, we're, it says, you're alive in Christ. 
And that means that we repent and we ask for forgiveness and we accept that forgiveness. We don't wallow in that shame and guilt. We accept the forgiveness that God has given to us. But it also means that we long to see that sin that keeps tripping us up, that keeps pulling at us. We want to see it destroyed. We don't want to play games with it. We don't want to be like, okay, well, maybe today we can hang out. No, we, we want it dead. We want it gone. In fact, this language here, uh, we should put it to death. That's condemnation language, right? In the same sense that we say that our sin is condemning us, we ought to be condemning it, right? We ought to be saying life, actually death penalty. I'm going to carry out the sentence myself. Condemn your sin to death. Mortify it, as John Owen says. Kill it every day. So that's three things. The way you live should be new. It should change. The way you think, your mind should be new and changed. And you should be waging war against your sin every day. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Because we are not condemned, we live differently. We interact differently. We act differently. We, we walk according to the Spirit. And we do strive to keep God's law. We love it. It's a law now that's no longer the law of sin and death, but it's a law of life and peace. <laughs> it's this law that, as Jeremiah says, has been written on our hearts It's a law that we cherish because we long to please the God who saved us. And we think differently. We set our minds on holiness. We go to war differently. We, we daily strive to kill that sin that's crouching at our door, knowing that the spirit in us is greater than the spirit in the world. You're not enslaved by sin. You're its master. Crush it. So, some might be hearing this who have not put their faith in Christ, and this is frightening. Because maybe, maybe you thought, oh yeah, I believe, but you're realizing maybe that you walk according to the flesh. You set your mind on the flesh. Uh, you're not dealing ruthlessly with your sin. You're maybe realizing that I don't walk, I don't think according to the Spirit, and so that sense of condemnation may still be there. When I said you're no longer condemned in Christ Jesus, you may have been like, I'm not sure about that. Well, you may be feeling that's condemnation because you may still be there. That's our natural state. Outside of faith in Christ, absolutely. That's where we are. We're condemned. But you don't have to stay there. I beg you to run to Christ to place your trust in him, repent of your sin, and believe the gospel which says that Jesus came and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, died for our sin, and rose to conquer sin and death. You've seen, I hope, this morning that faith in Christ will make you right before God. Condemnation is gone. And if you have faith in Christ, meditate on this truth daily. 
You are not condemned. You've been justified by God's grace. Your guilt, your shame, your judgment, all of that has been dealt with on the cross. So rather than than walking around like a man on death row, waiting for the weight of impending justice to crush you, walk in the newness of life that you've been granted in the Spirit. Joyfully offer your life back to God in obedience and love. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Set your mind on the Spirit, not on the flesh. And as John Owen wrote, be killing your sin or it's going to be killing you. In Christ, your sin is forgiven. There is no condemnation for you. You've been declared not guilty. So live like the innocent one that God's proclaimed you to be. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we... We struggle to accept this offer of your grace. We struggle to really understand that you could be so good to us because we see our sin. We know that our sin is condemning us. It's there and we feel the weight of that condemnation. And so it's so hard for us to say, I don't have that anymore. So I pray this morning that you will help each of us to rest in the finished work of Jesus that has set us free from condemnation. Help us to walk in the Spirit, to love others in the Spirit, to live lives which reflect your glory. Help us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Help us to think thoughts after you. May we pursue you with our minds and help us daily to kill the sin that still besets us. May you empower us by your Holy Spirit to know we are not condemned. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.